My name is James Pikeway, and I am the host of Creative Mornings right here in Dubai. And I want to introduce you to the 65th presenter at Creative Mornings here in Dubai. The theme was matriarchy, and our speaker was Maserat Dowd. You might have heard me speak about Maserat. We go way back. We first met when she was the publisher of the Student Gazette. She graduated from university. She had a computer science degree in hand and decided media was where she wanted to be. She went on to become the producer of my radio program. She went on to do a master's. She got married. She moved to London. She's been working in nonprofits. She studies Islamic theory. She's a really incredible person. Oh, did I mention she's a TED speaker? Did I mention she's put on the largest TEDx event on the planet? Well, she spoke to us on the theme of matriarchy. It was a lot of fun. Got her talk, got the Q&A. Sit back and enjoy. This is Creative Mornings in Dubai and our speaker, Maserat Dowd. James, hi everybody. It's really, really nice to be here. Um, I, I was just telling Kat and others, I'm just, uh, I normally do wake up by like 5.30 by default and I was a bit worried that I would still be in bed. Um, it's 5.40 in the morning right now in London. So this, it's really nice to see all of you, especially I cannot sort of get over Aldrin and the cat. Um, and, and what a great place where your camera is at. It's just, yeah, <laughs> really nice to, to be here, James. So, I mean, matriarchy was an interesting one, to be honest with you. I thought it was an interesting choice of, of topics because I don't really think it exists. Um, in, in a way for me, maybe feminism was more the framing for this. But when I think of matriarchy, I always, you know, it's always either pockets of indigenous communities or there are these very remote parts that you may find certain pockets of communities that practice this, but I also think it's a, it's maybe quite old in that. So it's not a mainstream idea of how we would look at things. So what I think of matriarchy, and I think of connecting it from this idea of a feminist leadership. And I think, you know, I think it's, it's an idea that's still, I would say utopian in a good way, that it is how we need to look at how do we reimagine leadership if we talk about it? So I'm personally not a fan of um, essentializing or really just saying that just because it's a woman, um, it means she is for sure going to be a better leader um, than men or than others. I am not a fan of that because I do believe that power in itself is gender neutral. So you can be a man or a woman, but then you just, function very differently, or maybe you do the same things when you're in power. So I think there's something about what we really need in the world right now is not this idea of, you know, um, like it's not just matriarchy in itself. What we need, need to mainstream is the values of what people associate with a feminine leadership. So whether it is empathy, whether it is leading with compassion. I think when we look at, you know, what's the new leadership that we need, I think those values are more important for us to focus on than sort of these wider concepts. So that's my take um, on the topic and on, on matriarchy. So I think just a little bit of context and background for, for everybody else. Um, so I did, grew, uh, I did grow up in Sharjah slash Dubai and I moved to London about 
10 years ago when I got married. And I studied, um, finished my uh, bachelor's in AUD and um, I did IT over there. And I think one of the things, you know, through life has been, especially in your younger years, you're not able to articulate what it is that you want. It's often a bit of a struggle. And so one of the things I knew, I think more often a theme in my life is I can tell you what I don't want. Um, and I sort of use that as a steer for, for myself. And um, I just did not want to do a very regular nine to five job. I think that was a very, you know, there's nothing wrong with it, but I just know myself that I, 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 I find things which are defined, very structured. I find them very stifling. So I always like this idea that I have a room to, to maneuver a little bit. So I um, did IT. I think my family struggled to kind of understand my choice. My our um, sort of family comes into the space with like of construction slash gypsum work slash interior designing. And I realized way too early that it is um, too male dominated. You know, I've got my uncles and brothers and brother and so on, everyone into it. And it's definitely a place I didn't want to go in. And so what was really about creating a path of my own? So I did IT um, as a way out, essentially, because I really didn't have options at the time. And when I graduated, then I worked with publications, which were IT publications, and um, went into comms, um, and then went into sort of, I think there's a moment we all sort of encounter, which is, you know, where do you belong and how do you contribute to that place? So, you know, I'm from my family and we're, we're from Rajasthan. And um, growing up really quite aware that female illiteracy was quite high. These are people I grew up around. So when people talk about patriarchy, it's not, um, it's not textbook stories that I know. Like these are, these are people that I know. Uh, you know, I, my aunt was married when she was three years old. And so when people talk about child marriages and these things, these are like very just real experiences. And a lot of what drove me was, um, you know, the experiences that I have, how can I bring them into the village? And so in, um, and I started doing my own thing. There was, um, the, some of you may remember, there was this um, major terrorist attack um, in Bombay. And I remember sitting in, um, you know, Emirates Towers, I was with the executive council. I was, and I remember sitting there just kind of realizing that I am actually in, Career-wise, what I would have thought was my peak was like the best sort of scenario. I was there and I watched this thing unfold and there's a lot of anger, but the anger is, you know, you know, who is it at? You can't sort of be angry at people who carry out these tasks. Um, it's a whole system that moves. And, and I kept thinking about it and I thought the only thing to break the system, there's no easy way, but it has to be education because education gives people opportunities gives you choices in life and so I just you know and then where do you sort of come in in this big systemic piece right so then I I thought let me just do what is in my control so you know in in the village um, there are schools and you we all know you know they're not of great quality in terms of the education they give and the, the infrastructure is quite poor so I went and started teaching that. Um, and then came this concept. I 
over the next couple of months, I shaped it. I used to teach people for um, eight days and then it was for about three hours um, every day. So essentially you can teach people a new skill in just 24 hours because that was a total of what I was working with them. So I started with like the first group of people who were who had never seen a computer, but within eight days were using Word and Paint and, and just generally being able to operate a computer. And so I went and sort of created these modules of public speaking to people who had never been on a stage. And then I, I did TEDx Dubai, which James um, had organized the first one. And I absolutely loved being in that room. Um, I mean, forget sort of being a speaker at the event, but having those thousand people and then just realizing how through this one event, you can get a lot of people together. When I was doing the AD academies, I had a lot of like, pockets of 15 and 20 and 40 people. But my concern was always when they go back into their homes, they're going back into places where people don't really understand their aspirations don't really understand how they're changing. And so there was a need to bring all of them um, together. So I then decided that I wanted to do a TEDx in the village. Um, and it, it was a mad idea. I initially planned for maybe 200 people showing up. And then we had all sorts of uh, Bollywood-esque um, or a hero's journey of like trials and tribulations and then uh, village elders not wanting this and, and the whole thing. And we went ahead, we had around 1200 people who attended the first one and then we had 5,000 and then we've had 7,000 people. So this has been the largest global TEDx event uh, for, a, for a number of years. And so I've just rolled on with it, to be honest with you. I mean, I work in advocacy and communications now and I still continue um, doing work through our family foundation, so I do a lot of mentorship work as well with, with girls who are, it's their first time, you know, going, it's their first time in their families ever to get an education. So they don't have a sense of direction or sense of speaking to anyone. So I try to fill the gaps there. So I think in, in, a, so in, a, in a very big nutshell, that's essentially a little bit of what I've done and what I do. And I think to James, to your question of, you know, um, you know, how do I look at this in my own life? I think, you know, and I was thinking about like, what is it that drives you? And maybe that's not the best question to ask because they can be so many things. But I think um, what I really feel strongly about is, is patriarchal values. And they're not often just men who, who put them your way. It's mostly, and, and in my experience, so it differs for everyone. In my experience, I've always found um, women to be those patriarchal kind of figures who always sort of create roadblocks or have created roadblocks. So I've had a very interesting kind of experience of patriarchy, but also in the form of women, which is maybe why I don't instrumentalize this idea of a female leadership as well. And, and I think, so really what drove me was, I think there are some people who just accept certain things as being norms. One of the things I've pretty much struggled for a very long time through growing up, uh, through childhood was, um, I will accept that I am the inferior sex. I'll do it, I'll do it. But you just need to give me a good reason for that. And I'm completely willing to listen. And I think so far, nobody has given me a compelling reason um, aside from like, you're just you know born a woman. I don't think that's compelling enough, but I'm still keeping my mind open to it. 
Um, and so I just never, yeah, just never listened to them. I um, went, I did my own thing. There's a, you know, if you come to our village, you cannot, as a woman, for example, or a young girl, go to the terrace of your own house because uh, people will slut shame you. You know, it's a, it's just character assassination for a woman or look at her putting herself out there sitting on the terrace of her own house how dare she um, and when I would see these things they, they, they really drive me mad uh, but also as a woman as a woman you cannot be mad because an angry woman is nobody nobody wants to engage with her so I kept these things <laughs> um, I, I kept this uh, thing within me and uh, I just sort of kept moving I mean you know, you might think there's a grand philosophy to, to, to what drives me, but there's really one scene from Finding Nemo that has been the driving force for me. And it is when, um, I've, I've watched a million times, when Dory gets stuck towards the end of the movie in this big net, um, and then, you know, um, Nemo or the, just basically keep telling her, just keep swimming. And I think that's just what I've always sort of followed in life. This, um, this idea of just, just keep swimming. Um, and, and yeah, that, that I think just, yeah, that, that character assassination, the way, the way how difficult it is for a woman to navigate these spaces. So, so I am, um, and this idea that I was always told that if a woman gets an education, uh, she's going to elope and she's going to bring shame to the family. So one thing which has stuck with me is this, this obsession with, with dignity, with, you know what, you can make your place through all kinds of spaces and you can do it with dignity. You don't have to be ashamed um, of all the places you've reached. And I think it's, it's been a long, long journey. It's been, you know, a, a, at least 10 years and I remember a couple of just a couple of months ago, I was talking to my my dad about something, and you know, he told me he said you've uh, you've reached a point where you know you're sort of be beyond a point where people will point fingers at you. You've kind of risen above that, uh, and I was like, whoa, you know. And I think with what you would see with what's happening with Malala and Vogue and everything, that's the kind of bullshit men slash male mentality that you have to deal with. But um, yeah, I've just sort of made my way through and it's just, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, now as I'm talking, I think there are just so many things that are sort of coming to my mind. It's, a, it's really small things like even when I started a Facebook page for our, our foundation and I was running it and I think some of them knew that. So these just generally and every guy in every village is uh, on Facebook, but women are not allowed because clearly they do things on Facebook, which they don't want their sisters and, and family members to, to, to witness. And, um, and some of them would just come and lay horrible comments uh, just because they thought it was me and there's no one else around me to speak for me. Um, but I think one thing that I've done over the years is just sharpen my absolute sarcasm. And like these men have no match for that. So I just can just insult them without using um, swear words. And so they basically, my, my father would tell me, oh, just ignore, just sort of rise above it. And, and I did that once. 
And then the second time, and he said, ah, just, just ignore these people are nobody. And I said, you know, you can say that because they'll never come and do this to you. Uh, they would dare not, but I have to shut them up because if I don't do this now, it's, you know, it's a, there's a really nice uh, metaphor for that in, a, uh, in, in the Kathleen Moran book, How to Be a Woman. She said, you know, if someone throws a, a, a big stone at your window, smashes it, and you don't fix it, then the next time when people pass by it, they'll throw all sorts of garbage within that because they think like that place is open and no one's going to do anything about it. And I think it's very, very true. So I decided to fix my window. And after that, I get no such comments. And I think it's just been relentless in that you can be a woman at any level and you're never safe um, or you're never, you know, you're never bullshit proof uh, when it comes to, 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 to these guys. So, yes, that's that's the experience so far. When I got married, I just got married because I needed to leave my parents house. So I thought. <laughs> I can always get divorced to the guy who, by the way, is also listening in. Um, I can <laughs> this guy, but I cannot divorce my parents. So I was like, just gotta do it. Um, you know, it's, it's like you have faith in your own madness and the fact that you'll kind of, you know, I'll take care of myself. Um, but I, you know, every every year when we have our anniversary, which is next month, um, we I sort of say. It's going to be 11 years now. I think that's working. Um, so yeah, marriage, I think, and I I was completely, and I think this is the, maybe it's a bit sad, but um, I just, I was completely okay with not having and not being in the traditional being married at 25. Um, if I had to just wait for the right person until I was 50, I was completely like in my head, I just, I was mentally sort of prepared for that. Um, and I think just, you know, meeting Tokir, I think we're both very similar in the fact that we were both trying to run away from these very rigid conservative ideas of how we should exist. I mean, both of us, and the thing is, it's not like we're, there's nothing wrong with being hippies, but you know, it's, there's nothing, we, we, it's, people always think that, oh, you want to break away from tradition and become, become something ridiculous. And it wasn't. We do value traditions, like especially traditions which are more about like sense of community responsibility and just, you know, helping build a non-toxic family structure. But it's just, um, yeah, no one, no one really gets that. And I think the way I like to see it, James, is um, I think I've just approached my life with a lot of creativity. And I think the problem is when I, and this was, you know, to even another, uh, for example, doing the run through of the jobs, people think creativity is just for arts and artists. And, and I think that's sort of like the biggest lie that has been sold to us over the years and, and something we should never give up on. I look at creativity as what's a new way of doing old things, and especially old things that don't work. So for me, you know, I, I, I tend to then look at things sometimes, you know, when you have some sort of uh, um, ridiculous nostalgic moments over, you know, some some sort of toxic family, like, oh my God, I wish I had all these people around the table. And then for everything in life, I tend to ask a question, you know, what's the price you're paying to, to have these five people around the table? And often it's like, ah, oh, yeah, that's, that's the price I don't want to pay. So I'm okay with my life. And I think for me, marriage was was one of those things. I wouldn't take it lightly because 
there are a lot of other things you know no one chooses to be a fighter but you end up fighting for so many things but i really wanted to just sort of come home to like just a non shitty person um so i was very sort of you know and if that meant meeting someone differently or whatever the hell he looks like um which was fine and uh, and yeah and i think between tokir and i as well we i would say we live our life creatively in that sense because we've had to break away from a lot of um sort of these toxic i mean the worst thing the worst thing to happen to you is to be a daughter-in-law in a, in south asian households it is like the most mind numbing thing um i i describe them as out of body experiences i have when i'm sitting and this is a true thing i was sitting there and i have women saying the price of mint is 1 pound today and the price of coriander has gone by 50p and i just sort of sit there and i was like oh my god have i come so far in life to like to accept that this is my life um and i just i refuse to do that so i just keep swimming um and i think just the choices we do with our lives it's creativity it is you know what are the new ways to have family structures that are not toxic what what are the new ways for us to do these things um and i think life and career and everything else is really driven by that pretty much we we've got some questions but before we get to those one more thing i want to ask you is is looking back now at everything that you've just said everything that you've been through what are the messages that you're giving to your nieces that are here in charja today what do you say to them yeah i i think i've had to you know do some things which i maybe wouldn't have done for myself um but i do them because i always think of my niece who's now 18 and i think what if she was in this situation you know i would tell her leave or i would tell her do something else so why am i staying why am i sort of doing this because the the because i think you say it's not it's not terribly easy there is a whole host of the world is telling you something and you're the only person who doesn't believe in it so where do you kind of really draw the line to like oh it's not just the easiest thing to say well i'm just going to do it myself they're just you know it's it's complicated there are strings attached so i think with my niece um as well you know i really what i tell her is just one respect yourself and prioritize yourself and then i can't plan or predict the challenges she's going to face they will likely be very different but i think as long as you know and she's she's very kind she's very funny and i feel like if you have humor you're kind you're a good person then like off you go you know whatever situation you're in if you are going to come out of it still respecting yourself i think that's a good um scenario and i think you just give them these broad sort of values and kind of let them just do their own thing as well she'll make mistakes she has to learn like i keep telling my sisters and these guys i'm like start drawing a boundary where you can't come and drop your kids of their experiences um you will have to let them fall and you will have to let them make mistakes but that's just how they will learn as well when you think about the eight day academy when you think about your tedx and when you think about being on the ted stage in vancouver and you think about what you've studied and what you've done in your masters work anything you would do different in hindsight looking back at it all i mean i never had anyone um to guide me in the sense that 
this is how a career path is taken. So I just went and did my own thing. I went, I basically, I came out of situations where I wasn't learning anything and I only used that as a guiding force. So I would just say, kids, don't try this at home. Uh, I think if I changed anything about any of these experiences, I probably would be a very different person. Um, so I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't change anything. I think, you know, um, it has been challenging a lot of, you know, I mean, the challenge has been how do you, in a world that just wants you to specialize and be known for one thing, how do you kind of do a wide range of things? You know, I, I, it just came from my own need to do something differently. So I was 13 when I was first published. I don't know if you guys remember You Magazine with Gulf News um, and then Khalish Times and all of that. So I wrote for these guys, did the radio um, and so just did everything. Like I have, I, I'm just, I have this itch that like, come on, this is like one life that we have. And I, I would love to do all of these different things and learn all kinds of like ridiculous things. Um, and yeah, I'm just, I would not change. I would not change anything. I love it. I love all what you've said, uh, Masad. So I have a, the first question for you was, were there any parallels in behaviors you witnessed in your familiar and professional spaces? Um, in family and in professional, um, I think just some of that bullying behavior of someone always trying to one-up you or someone always operating from a mentality or a mindset that they need to control you. I think I just react very badly to, to anyone trying to do that. Um, and I've just, yeah, I think that is something I've always tried to change. And I think it, it comes up in professional environments where either anything around, when you feel like you're not being heard, uh, when no one pays attention to what it, what it is that you can actually contribute and to really give you opportunities to, to, to bloom, to learn and grow. Um, so I think these are some of the common themes that, that come up um between both these sort of structures and especially dealing with toxic people and i think the only thing is when I, i've encountered that in professional spaces i've decided to leave because i always thought like i can't engage with that in family you're stuck um uh, with that and but i've also been working on it because i you know i just decided there's something about also what does it mean to like face it um, and not leave like how does that change you so yeah so those are the patterns I'd say that's awesome and then you know how to notice them now because you've seen them repeat in different scenarios so you know how to notice them so what's the next, what's the name of the academy you run and is it still ongoing how can people engage with that so it's not ongoing, it's kind of evolved into the foundation work. My dad um, actually has been doing a lot of work um, in Fatehpur on ground for about, I mean, for about 30 years now in terms of building schools and, and so on. So he's done a lot of work. And then what we did was we said, well, why don't we consolidate you know, what you and I are doing into a foundation? So I've, um, I did the eight-day academy. It doesn't really exist now, but it's basically evolved into a lot of other education scholarships and mentorships uh, programs that I, um, that I do within, within the village. 
No, I was just going to say that I, it's just something I'm still working on in terms of creating a better mentorship structure. Um, I, I just, I do these individual ones now of there are about six to 10 girls, but I really, what I really want to do is scale it. So that is something I'm still sort of trying to figure out how that would happen and, and trying to see how that would work. Give us your best sarcastic comeback, <laughs> especially oh, no. with those comments. <laughs> I don't even remember them actually. I mean, I, I have, I, I meet all kinds of idiots. I remember there was this one guy, I was walking outside uh, King's Cross station and, um, you know, it's, it's obviously a very busy station and, and this random guy just stops me and uh, I, I wear the, I wear the headscarf as well. And so just randomly stops me and tells me, you know, lady, uh, my grandmother uh, wore better clothes than you. Um, and I was like, well, clearly your grandmother has better taste than you do. And it was just like a fleeting thing. And we just like walked off. And I thought the audacity for anyone to stop and say bullshit like that to people on the streets. I mean, I'd never tell a guy like, I think your blue shirt is boring. <laughs> That's, awesome. That's the one I remember, but I'm sure there are lots of others. Awesome. If you remember, do tell us at any moment. We love those, uh, we love those responses. Uh, so the next question, when you said I went and did my own thing. So did you have a, a goal in mind or an image or a plan? Or was it like a step by step and you figured what you needed to do as you went along? Sorry, can you repeat the first part about? So did you have, did you have a, a bigger image in your head of where this is going? Or was it just I'll just do this now and then the next yeah. thing comes when it comes. So, no, I did not. So short answer did not have any big goal. Um, I always, I just, I just think one, it is learning. One, it is just always being told that, you know, as women, you deserve to just be confined to certain spaces. And I think a lot of it was just not accepting when people would, you know, it's, it's sort of like, if you look at it, people tell you on the other side, there's a village, but like, please don't go there. Like no one goes there. And I think for me, there was always just driven by a curiosity of, I want to go there and see for myself what it is. And then I'll come back and tell you if it, it's not, but just not listening to others. I mean, I, I haven't nailed that. I don't know how that sounds like to others, but I just, um, I, I've just always seen adults confine them into roles, confine themselves into jobs. And I always felt like that's, like there's surely more to life than that. There's surely um, different ways to live life than that. So I continue learning. I continue being driven by, and I think there's another thing here. There's also, there's this aspect of being a woman, but there's also this thing of people who come from villages and small towns, you know, the imposter syndrome that you're given of like the limitation that we only belong into these spaces. Like this is just who we are. I just think I refuse to really accept that. I always felt like, why can't I be in these spaces? And now when I'm into in these spaces whether i'm on a ted stage or any of that i kind of have a moment of like like bloody hell how did i make it here um but i just i just yeah never put a restriction on myself or limited myself that like 
I can't go beyond this point or this is something I cannot do. Um, yeah, broadly, I think that's how I see it. Nice. What's next? What's the next ridiculous thing you're planning to learn? Oh, um, my God. I went into the whole pandemic uh, thing last year and tried to do gardening. I made peace with the fact that like, it's not my thing. Like I simply cannot let anything grow in my house. If I touch it, like I have a running joke with my husband. I'm like, when we go to a plant shop, like they must be screaming internally, like don't pick us. Um, so I, I, I'm giving up on gardening, but um, the next thing that I'm learning, um, yeah, I, I, I've started work, um, I think, there's a, there's a, yeah, I think I'm just, I think I'm learning more about philanthropy as like a field. I don't know anything much about it. Um, and I've started work a couple of months ago and it's just one of the clients are there. That's what they're doing. And I just, I find it utterly fascinating. And I have these conversations with like another friend who again is a uh, hijabi and everything. And it's really interesting just to see this imposter syndrome that people when when they walk into these spaces and they're like because philanthropy is basically a elite white male space yeah. and it's just utterly fascinating to me so i think i think i'm learning that and then i i read um, on the ground floor and then the first floor of the house i have like different books around different spots so anything from also um Central Asian, like there's a really nice book, The Lost Enlightenment. So I'm also really interested in just like older, like Islamic texts um, or looking at Islamic societies and culture. So these are, yeah, my sort of parallel side things that I sort of keep learning. The Lost Enlightenment. Yeah. yeah. It's actually, it's about Central Asia, how it was um, around the time, like sixth century onwards before the Arab invasion. So it's really fascinating because you look at Uyghurs and everything and you look at them in the light of Ch what China is doing in the oppression. But these guys were incredible people, like so much back in time. So how these cultures completely like, you know, lose their glory and um, their histories are forgotten. So it's really fascinating. How would you explain matriarchy to a four-year-old girl? So, I wouldn't explain matriarchy to a four-year-old because I don't think it exists. Um, you know, it's like I mentioned, it's it can be an ideal. It can be, I, I would say maybe feminism is more than, than matriarchy in what I would exp uh, explain. And I think that's what I've sort of practiced a little bit with my niece. Um, I mean, I remember her, gosh, she asks the most random challenging questions, but I think she was eight or something. And she was like, um, how do you know that someone loves you? And I was like, oh my God. Um, and then um, I have to improvise. But the answer to that is what I would say in terms of feminism or what matriarchy is, is um, I told her, I said, when someone just respects you, um, you know, and when someone respects you, they will treat you with kindness. They will treat you. So there's a lot of other kind of domino effects of respect. But I told her, I said, if someone respects you and listens to you, then that is love. And in the same sense, for a four-year-old, it's just that value of respect, not even respect, but being heard. 
um, and feeling loved as a four-year-old is like you're in the right place if like these are two things that you are feeling is happening in that situation and and yeah going ahead in life like you you also hear and you make others feel loved so you give the same values back so that's what I would tell a four-year-old although I literally I, I don't have kids, so I don't have experience in what is the age appropriate thing to say when. Um, so I've always treated my niece and nephew as my age um, and it has worked. Did your sarcasm improve dramatically by living in the UK? Oh dear. Um, there must be some of these British thingies like, oh dear, that has come in. <laughs> but the sarcasm actually, irrespective of where you live, has been sculpted and honed by um, shitty people. And yes. you encounter them in, you encounter them online and they're in India, they're in Dubai, they're in London. So wherever, you know, it's just the snappiness just comes out um, from there. So I will give all the credit and recognition to all the shitty people I have ever met uh, for honing my sarcasm. Thank you. Yeah, you have more, so you can hone it better. <laughs> Thank you. So um, one last question I have, and uh, this is an invitation for anyone else who uh, didn't ask a question, but the last one that I have is, from a man's side, what can we do to contribute to change that toxic culture if we have that in the family, even if we don't accept it? Yeah, I think actually this question should be for my husband. Um, I think, you know, I've had my challenge with these things in a certain way and his he has had his share of challenge, especially under the kind of, you know, emotional baggage of like, you're the oldest son who sets the standard for everybody. So, you know, if you're not accepting our cycle of, uh, of uh, all of these toxicity, then how do we encourage others to do that? Um, I think, I think, you know, and I'm trying to really think of his experience in that as well. And I think what the first thing that you do is one, you really, be, like, he really believed me. He did not doubt or try to say, well, you're trying to sow seeds of, uh, you know, disinformation and, and so on. So I think one, he really believed. And the second thing I've always told him is, you don't, you don't have to fight like if something is not okay, it doesn't mean that you're, you're fighting. So there are two things here. There is, you're not fighting, but there is the perception the other person has of you are fighting if you're not accepting the status quo. So leave the burden of what other people will perceive because you cannot control something that cannot be controlled. But, I, and I always tell this to my husband because I don't, I don't like people confronting each other and I always tend to tell him you're monkeys and you're circus so how do you deal with it so just say that something is not okay like if someone's coming and stabbing at you but you're going to be quiet um, how do you blame them I would blame myself for not saying as much as can you please stop stabbing me because it's hurting me so it's just that approach you have to start speaking up in the moments and just saying, actually, I've seen this and this is not okay and leaving it at that. And it makes a huge difference. We, we all bottle up feelings until a point where the only way to express something is not okay is when you just erupt. And 
it doesn't need to be like that. And a lot of, you know, we look at a lot of these systemic things and feel like something really massive is going to like push this thing out. And it's not, it is just saying no at the moment when something unpleasant is happening. Like that is the absolute starting point for, for this. And it's not gonna hurt you or anybody else. Awesome. There is an invitation to, uh, for uh, Tawqir to unmute himself and answer if he wants to. So that's an open invitation for you, Tawqir. Okay, I'm going to cook your food. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So answer us. Answer us. How do you contribute to, to change this toxic culture? What, what is your point of view? Well, you know, something that I think about on a daily basis at work is, you know, how do we improve the culture in our organization? Uh, but how often do we think about how do we improve the culture in our family circles and our social circles? I think we don't spend enough time on it or, quite frankly, we don't want to put enough effort on it because, you know, trying to change anything within family always feels very, very painful. Uh, but the perception in many of our cultures around uh, respect for elders and and two elders. Uh, my, my view is that, uh, you know, I'm a progressive. I want to constantly keep evolving uh, how we behave as human beings, first and foremost. Uh, and behavior of human beings then also changes the culture around anything. So from my perspective, it's super important that when we do have these challenges within families, we have to help our families see their behavior, but also see the light of day. Uh, where we live today is not how they've lived their lives and not how they have learned to exist. And it's, it's hard because quite often the people who cause the pain are the people who are much older in life and change is hard for them. So it's about managing that. Um, and, and But trying to make the best arguments and to help them ultimately um, become better people. Lovely. So not only helping with the, with the, with the environment, but also sometimes uh, removing obstacles from uh, in front of them. So that could also be a way of support, just like remove those obstacles. Amazing. That's right. That's right. Thank you. Thank you, Tokyo. The last question we have here is for Gareth. Gareth, did you finally get home with your dog? Did you reach home? He was walking the dog the whole time. It was amazing. So, Gareth. Hey, hey guys. Yeah. I didn't know if you could um, see my dog, but uh, I, nobody commented at the time. So, I was like, um, nobody's seen him. I felt a bit sad. But uh, I guess you did. So, that's awesome. We, we just, were we all just seeing it him to do his business you know and he did here he is this is this is real say hi <laughs> he's, a, awesome. he's a little jack russell i think we were cat. aldrin introduce your cat to rio <laughs> <laughs> i maybe i maybe bring him to atelier tomorrow look at that gareth oh i'm gonna we enjoyed the walk with you guys thank you thank you I want to wrap it up. I don't have the bread. Do you have bread <laughs> to wrap it up? What do you do to wrap it up? Thank you. Thank you, Mossad, so much for, for being us today. I think, I think we're all inspired by your journey. We all look forward to see what you're going to do next. Uh, we're, we're following you, definitely. 
and uh, and thank you all for being here. This is uh, Creative Morning number fifty-five. Well, there we go. That was Masrat Dowd speaking at Creative Mornings in Dubai. The theme was matriarchy. It was our 65th event. You want to get in touch? Dubai at creativemornings.com. You can reach me at james at thejamescast.com. You can find Creative Mornings online, CM underscore Dubai, if you want to find us on the socials www.creativemornings.com. You can search for Dubai through that portal. Thank you very much for taking the time. Share the link. And I look forward to chatting with you again really soon. So long for now.